You're listening to Opera Innovations, a podcast brought to you by ABA Technologies. This week on the University Series, we'll be speaking with Rowan University. And this episode is going to be a little unique because we have five interviewees today, three faculty members and two students. So without further ado, Rowan University. Today we are here with Rowan University, and this episode is going to be much more exciting because we actually have five people that are going to be participating in it. And it's not just necessarily faculty members, we also have some students as well. So this is gonna be the first episode where you get to hear from some students of the university firsthand. And because there are so many, um, I'm going to rest my voice and I'm going to pass it over to them and let them introduce themselves. But first, I just want to thank everybody for being here. Thanks. I'll get started. Um, I am Dr. Bethany Rafe. I am one of the faculty members. I'm an associate professor at Rowan University. I have been at Rowan for a while, <laughs> um, about eight years now, I think. And um, we, so I help to co-coordinate our master's in applied behavior analysis program. And um, I also oversee um, doctoral student training for our clinical, for at least for my students in our clinical program as well. So we'll get to talk about that a little bit more um, as we go. My background, though, I, I'll give just a really brief uh, background, is um, I went to University of Florida for graduate school studying behavioral pharmacology. So um, I have training in more basic research, basic uh, behavior analysis, and then also sort of translational. So I, I kind of um, span across uh, the whole continuum of research from really basic with animals in laboratory settings to now more current, um, more uh, recently uh, intervention-based intervention or interventions for substance use disorders and other kind of health behavior um, is my focus. So uh, my, my background's a little bit unique for an applied behavior analysis program and um, I'll pass the mic over to my the co-coordinator uh, for our program, Michelle Sorith. Hi, I'm Michelle Sorith, um, and I joined Rowan um, as faculty member uh, in 2006. So this is my 15th year uh, at uh, Rowan, um, and really started uh, at the program when it was just myself and Dr. Mary Lou Kerwin. Um, it, we initially had a BCABA track, and we'll talk all about details, I'm sure, on that. Um, and then open, built and opened the masters in ABA uh, over the years, as well as I assisted in uh, assembling the clinical PhD program uh, that we'll talk about that houses some behavior analysts in it as well. Um, I'm currently an associate professor and I did my background. I fell in love with behavior analysis at Rollins College in Florida. I was there for undergraduate, uh, my undergraduate days, and I met and Maria Ruiz was my mentor. Um, so I fell in love with behavior analysis um, and ended up completing my PhD at Temple University with Phil Heinlein, um, working in the experimental analysis of behavior. My dissertation was on choice behavior with pigeons. Um, and then soon after, when I went from graduate school uh, to the Rowan position, in that transition, even Phil Heinlein, you know, we were very involved in applied behavior analysis as well in the lab. It certainly wasn't just the pigeon lab. Um, 
but ended up doing some more consulting work, got my BCBA, and now uh, my area of research is primarily in early intervention uh, for autism spectrum disorder, as well as uh, I have some experience uh, dealing with problem behavior in schools, assessment, and treatment of problem behavior as well. So I will, and uh, as Bethany said, I co-coordinate uh, the Master of Arts in Applied Behavior Analysis, and we'll uh, send it over to our newest colleague, uh, Dr. Christina Simmons. Hi, I'm Dr. Christina Simmons. This is my fourth year here at Rowan. Hard to believe it's already been four years or three years that I've been here. I am an assistant professor in the psychology department. Um, my background, my PhD and my master's degree were at the University of Georgia in school psychology, where I had the chance to work with Dr. Scott Arduin and Dr. Jonathan Campbell. And I had the wonderful uh, pleasure of training at the Marcus Autism Center in Atlanta, where I really developed my love of severe behavior and treating and assessing severe behavior. I then did my pre-doctoral internship at the Monroe Meyer Institute at the University of Nebraska Medical Center under the supervision of Dr. Wayne Fisher. And I stayed and did my postdoc there as well. And so then I joined the program at Rowan and um, as part of that, had the chance to develop a severe behavior clinic as part of our Center for Applied Behavior Analysis. And so my research is focused on assessing and treating severe behavior in individuals with autism and developmental disabilities, but specifically focusing on the social validity of those interventions. So how do we incorporate individuals with developmental disabilities, their preferences, their opinions, and their selection of assessments and treatments, as well as how do we make those assessments and treatments meaningful in the real world? Oh, I'm really excited to be here and to talk about our programs. I thought who could what we could have um, go next is Jessica Nastasi from who was our actually former Master of Arts student. She graduated two years ago now, I think it was. So we'll have her um, go next. Sure. So my name is Jessica, as Bethany mentioned. I got my master's at Rowan University. I'm currently a second year student. University of Florida, working with Dr. Nicole Gravina. And then uh, we have Matt Dwyer, who is a current doctoral student in our PhD program in clinical psychology. Yeah, uh, my name is Matt Dwyer, and I'm a fourth year uh, clinical psych doc student in Rowan's uh, health psychology program, working with Dr. Rafe in the uh, habit research unit. Um, and my background in behavior analysis started really um, I'm a graduate of Eastern Michigan University's dual clinical psychology and behavior analysis master's program before moving to Rowan. I just want to say I'm really excited to have everybody. And um, as a, you know, as I'm listening to all of you talk about your backgrounds and where you went to school and where you're going to school now or things along that line, it's just really exciting because I'm like, oh, we've had them on the podcast. Oh, we've had them on the podcast. So it's really, it's really neat to see how all of them actually really tie together and that a lot of you are talking about, you know, you've gone through a lot of these programs that, you know, I've already talked to and it's like, Ooh, now I get to see where you went from those programs. And that's really exciting to do. Um, so typically now we can, or now we can, you know, jump into the actual program. And typically we start with just a general overview. So I will hand it over to, learn just a little bit more about the general knowledge of the Rowan program. Great. So I will try to uh, cover as much of that as possible. And if I miss anything, um, I'll ask my colleagues to step in and 
fill in anything I might have missed, but the program is uh, 33 credits and it is comprised of, um, you know, it's, it's one of the, uh, uh, these programs that is has a verified course sequence, obviously, um, and uh, the the program has, starts with fundamental behavior analytic uh, knowledge and skills. Uh, so we've got you know some basic principles, applied behavior analysis, coursework, and history and philosophy as well. And we have an advanced EAB course um, in there as well. And then we move into more of the advanced beha applied behavior analysis topics like ethics and advanced practice. Um, and we do offer, and I know not all programs do, uh, we have practicum in applied behavior analysis as well, which some, uh, I, I do not um, run that, but my colleagues uh, help out with that as well so they can talk more about it. Um, and then we've got uh, research methods and behavioral consultation and supervision courses that are required of the program um, at this time. Is there anything else that I'm sort of missing from that general overview? Did you want to also talk about the um, undergraduate program? Okay, so we've got the Master's in Applied Behavior Analysis, and then we've also got for graduate level, we've got the continuing or the Certificate of Advanced Graduate Studies in ABA that is available to people who have a degree already, um, an advanced degree, who want to just take the coursework to become a BCBA um, as well. So that is an option. It's, it's uh, I can't remember exactly the number of credits that that is uh, required, but it's pretty close to our, our master's program. And then we have for undergraduates, and, and Dr. Sorth mentioned this earlier, just um, this concentration in behavior, behavioral services, which is available to our undergraduate students or post-bac students as well, that provides this verified course sequence um, for students who want to become a BC, BCABA. And, um, and I actually supervise that, which I didn't mention before, but I do supervise that program as well. So um, in, that, in that sequence, we also, it's a, it's a series of five courses, and we also um, provide or require some field work and, and actual practical kind of experience uh, to help get hours for the certification uh, process. Those are our, our behavior analysis specific programs. But then we've also got, as we've mentioned before, we've got this doctoral program, which is in its fifth year now. So we actually have our first full cohort of students and it's a clinical psychology program, very unique in the sense that um, it does have the behavior analysis program embedded. It's not related, but we're faculty members um, can take students and we can um, mentor students and, and uh, have students conducting research in our labs so they can get that behavior analytic um, focus while also getting a clinical degree and um, have that sort of, I, I think it's a really great merging of those two disciplines to have behavior analysis and it, it won't allow them to become BCBA uh, because we don't have the course, courses built into that doc program, but if they have that experience already, then bringing those together could be a really nice um, merging and then having the opportunity to do research in a more clinical uh, fashion. And um, the really unique thing about our doctoral program, in addition to the fact that we have behavior analytic faculty on staff that, you know, that can take students, is its focus on health. Uh, so we at Rowan University, one of the really unique things about our um, institution is that we, we have two medical schools, which is really rare and unusual for any university. <laughs> um, but when Rowan sort of ended up, um, we, we developed our own doctoral, or not doctoral, but um, medical school, the Cooper University, or Cooper, Cooper Medical School um, in Camden. And that was something that was sort of in the works. And, um, and then we sort of inherited another uh, 
medical school that, so we have two. So we have an osteopathic and an allopathic medical school available, which is a really great opportunity for our students, both in behavior analysis and in the doctoral program, because they get right into the healthcare field and really integrated into health um, you know, concerns and, and working in that fashion. So I think that that offers some unique opportunities. And then we also have a school psychology program, which Dr. Simmons can talk a little bit more about that I think places us in this unique position at Rowan to have all these different opportunities. Well, I really like hearing that because not only necessarily, you know, sticking with just strictly within the behavior analytic programs, I like that you are going to be bringing in some of these other opportunities because students will be able to like, They'll, they'll be able to reach out and find out exactly which path they want to go down that's going to fit best for them. So I really like that you're bringing in a lot of those because, no, we don't all necessarily, necessarily go strictly clinical behavior analysis. That's with, you know, working with children, children with autism. That's not necessarily what all of us do. And I know I get that question a lot, like, how did you get your job? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's different. So I really like that. And so how about we jump into some faculty members? Who are the faculty members? What are they researching? Who are they? Well, that's a great segue, actually, in what you were just talking about. I wanted to, to dis- discuss a little bit more about our, the faculty members and our unique backgrounds, which we talked a little bit about in our introductions, but I think we could talk a little bit more about that too. Um, so it's it's the three of us right now. We have other faculty members who help teach some of our courses, but it's Dr. Sorath, Dr. Simmons, myself, who are the primary faculty members. Um, Dr. Kerwin, who is one of the founding members, she's the head of our department right now. So she's taken a little bit of a backseat. She's still involved in our program and, and all of that, but she's not teaching at the time at this time or taking students um but she was heavily you know influential in the development obviously and um the direction that our our program has gone so my my background being really in behavioral pharmacology and health behavior focus is really unique and different and i think that that is a a um offers the students a a different perspective than what a traditional sort of behavior analysis program might offer. And, you know, I, when I teach courses, I teach the basic principles and advanced DAB courses. And I rarely, I don't have examples for, you know, clinical examples that involve kids with autism or developmental disabilities. That's just not what I do. And so when I'm giving examples, it's going to, um, broaden, I think, what our students get exposure to and uh, the opportunities that really are out there for how behavior analysis can be applied. Because I'm talking a lot about the work that I do, the research that I do that is, you know, really health behavior intervention, but in a totally different way than what people are used to. I also have that really basic background as well, that basic training, which I love and appreciate. And so I can, I hope to try to instill that in my students. I also teach research methods and I love research, you know, more than anything. So um, I I hope that I try to instill some of that passion for research. Um, Maybe we can hear from our students too a little bit about that because they've both been involved with research that we've done. Um, So yeah, that's, that's my unique angle that I bring. And I'll let the other two um, talk about what they bring that's unique to the table that I think is different than other programs. I think I can jump in from there. I think I, I get to teach the applied courses. I get to teach introduction to ABA. I get to teach behavioral assessment and functional analysis, and I get to teach ethics. And so those courses are very much applied. And so I get to bring in my actual clinical experience into my examples in class. And we do a lot of role-playing in class. We do a lot of actual practical examples to teach students those actual clinical skills. 
And so then it's great to actually be able to supervise students while they're doing their practicum experiences. So getting to have them in class, learning some of those foundational clinical skills, and then getting to see them actually apply those skills and really grow in their, their skills as practitioners. And so over the course of two years, it's really getting to see that development. And I think that's one unique point of having us be involved with teaching our students, that I get to see students across those two years and get to really be involved in that development and growth. Um, and so I think one unique aspect that um, Dr. Rafe mentioned is that we do come in with different experiences and different backgrounds. So our students are getting to hear those examples from each of us. And from my perspective, I'm actively doing clinical work. I'm supervising students in the field, doing work in the home, doing work in our clinical setting. And so getting to bring in those examples in a real world. And sometimes it is sharing ongoing cases that we're seeing in class as we're giving examples. And so students are getting to hear about and share about their own clinical experiences. I think that, that that makes us unique, that we are each coming into it and working really well together, but getting to share with students our unique backgrounds. And also to piggyback on that, the psychology department has 18 faculty members. And so the faculty members in our psych department have a really broad range of interests in the healthcare field. And so students in our PhD program are not only working with us in our labs, but they're getting to take courses with faculty members who have this broad application of psychology and across the lifespan, across presenting concerns, across settings. And so they're really coming in with a very broad um, knowledge and understanding from um, getting to interact with all of our faculty members. Yeah, I think and for, for, for me, I think it's been an interesting kind of journey. I, I always view myself sort of as the utility uh, player. So I've taught courses in the entire span um, of the program. Uh, I think that's largely a function. I started, like I said, you know, almost 15 years ago now, um, and the program was not in existence. So helping Mary Lou Kerwin sort of build the program um, and my own interests, I, I always feel my interest started, uh, you know, and I think at the heart of it, is really the philosophy of behavior analysis um, at its core. Um, it's, it's a real passion of mine. And so I, and I tell my students too, I was like, I might not be the smartest approach, but I know even from the time that I got into the field, uh, this really the love for behavior analysis almost in its entirety, um, meaning all of the branches. And so I ended up with this, you know, crazy idea that um, I, as a professional, I want to be good and be, have uh, expertise in each area. So in the philosophy and be able to run a basic uh, study and do the basic science and then also have contact and do work in the applied field, which was a later, really for me, a later development that came uh, down the road in my career in education, mostly towards the end of, of graduate school. Um, for me. So I, I ended up teaching a, a wide range of, of courses. Um, at the heart of it, I, I feel a very strong connection uh, with the philosophy of science and its implication for a wide range of, um, you know, wide range of implications really in terms of uh, social justice and social change and those sorts of things um, are very near and dear to my heart. So I hope my own role is a sort of grounding force in that for students. Um, and as Rowan has grown, and I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go forward, um, Rowan has grown as a university over the years. Um, and Dr. Rafe mentioned it, you know, just it, it, you know, getting to medical schools. And we started as a relatively small, you know, medium-sized state school uh, that was largely a commuter school. 
um, a, a very much teaching oriented and teaching focused university and has grown into, you know, larger and larger research base with PhD programs and again, two medical schools and, um, and seeing that growth and trajectory while still holding on to, you know, really quality, high quality teaching has been um, a challenge, but it's something that I think is unique about our program. Um, and so uh, to a certain extent, that's been my area. And then I've been fortunate to do some research uh, in the area of, as I mentioned previously, early intensive behavioral interventions, specifically those based on Skinner's analysis of verbal behavior. And I've gotten some external funding for that, some grant funding, um, and hopefully to continue that, that has given, uh, we've had numerous students you know, there's been for the one project that we recently completed, uh, over 50 students had participated in that project and got some, uh, you know, research level clinical based, you know, clinic based uh, experience and research through that. And so I'd like to continue that. And I hope that's what I can bring to the table for them. Well, that's really exciting. And even just to hear, even just, from, you know, from the three of you and your what you are interested in to hear how wide of a variety it is. But then on top of that, they have these other opportunities to work with these other faculty members too, to learn about even more things. So I think that that really does, like, like you said, Bethany, it really does show a uniqueness that Rowan has. And so next, I typically talk about uh, <clears throat> practicum opportunities. I know that that was mentioned in the intro and I'm actually from what I've heard so far I am very excited to hear what type of practicum opportunities are available. So we've really over the years practicum is something that's uh, developed and changed uh, you know we have uh, in the state of New Jersey we are fortunate to be fairly rich with services, service providers, um, good BCBAs in the area, um, and that's certainly evolved over the years as well, but it sort of even started there. So we've had a history of, of placements um, in a variety of, of settings, you know, home-based services for individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities, including autism, um, placements in school settings and home settings, as I mentioned, uh, clinic based settings. Uh, and then over once uh, Christina Simmons had joined us, and which was so exciting for us, was that um, now we had the faculty resources to start to work on developing an in-house clinic um, and a training clinic um, for our practicum students. So we've really turned our focus to those opportunities, which have been amazing because you're able to provide all of the um, activities and opportunities for learning that um, that really the task list is indicating and dictating and uh, getting that those in place very firmly before the students um, go off into, you know, a diversity of, of opportunities after that. So it's really been a sort of grounding feature of the master's program. Um, in, in applied behavior analysis. The clinical program, we'll talk, let um, Bethany talk about a little bit, um, and the students too, Matt, uh, specifically, that they've had some amazing opportunities, um, hospital-based settings and that kind of thing with given the medical school resources that we have. Um, but uh, Dr. Simmons has been absolutely instrumental in getting that training clinic uh, up and running uh, and doing a tremendous amount of clinical work and supervision. I also do supervision within 
that and often teach the practicum course. Um, Dr. Kerwin and I shared that course for a number of years. Um, and then once she moved to department head, Dr. Simmons and I will, will likely share the, the responsibilities of that course uh, going forward. But I'll let her talk about some of the opportunities as well. Sure, thanks for that segue, Michelle. Um, so talking about our clinical services, we have at Rowan the Center for Behavior Analysis. And so the Center for Behavior Analysis lets students participate in both research-based clinical work as well as clinical services that we're providing. So we, um, my specialty is our severe behavior clinic. So we have the capacity to serve individuals with very severe challenging behaviors um, in padded treatment rooms with full body equipment that we're able to keep ourselves as well as our clients safe. So we're seeing individuals with very severe topographies of challenging behaviors, severe self-injury, severe aggression, property destruction that may not be able to be served in other settings. They may have struggled to receive services in schools or in the home. And so we're able to bring them onto our campus, to our clinic, and our students, both at the undergraduate and the graduate level, serve as our therapists. So they go through intensive training in management of severe challenging behavior, as well as the interventions and protocols that we're conducting. So those students under uh, my supervision are able to work with this population that they may never have had the chance to work with um, in other settings and as they go on to work in more applied settings may not deal with that level of severity. Um, in our center we also see early intervention clients so working on basic skill building primarily in individuals with autism and developmental disabilities, early language developments. Um, Dr. Kerwin is an expert in pediatric feeding disorders so we have seen clients um, with presenting concerns in the feeding domain we do parent training through our clinic, um, as well as staff training. We can train teachers and other um, community members um, through that clinical um, clinic that we have on campus. We also have a contract from the state of New Jersey to provide in-home services, both in intensive in-home intervention services and um, skill building services. So that's something where we place a majority of our practicum students now under our supervision that we're placing them in the home to work on managing challenging behaviors and building skills in individuals with developmental disabilities. And so that to me is a really unique opportunity for our students because they're getting to take a level of clinical skills that they may have been under the supervision of a BCBA, they may not have gotten to do um, development of plans out in their um, work settings or other practicum settings. But here under our intensive supervision, they're actually developing treatment protocols. They're going into the home and they're working with parents, they're training parents, they're learning to manage some of those external circumstances that might get in the way of intervention effectiveness. They're working in home settings with a lot of barriers to treatment that we're able to supervise them and work through ethical dilemmas. We're able to work through managing some of those external circumstances. And so it's been really amazing for me to see at the start when we bring students into our practicum um, where they're at and then see that develop over the course of that year, year and a half that they're in practicum. They may come in and at the beginning, we're teaching them how to graph treatment data to make clinical treatment decisions. We're teaching them how to write their first protocol that they've had to write in their clinical experience. And then by the end, they're presenting in our practicum class, they're doing case presentations, they have run a full evaluation. Um, and so I think it's really great to see that level of independence that they're developing over the course of that practicum experience. And I think another aspect to me that's really, really meaningful is that we're teaching them to do functional analyses in the home setting, where in a lot of places that they may work, that's not something that happens in clinical practice. It's something that people might be afraid of, people might shy away from. And so we're figuring out ways that we can modify functional analysis protocols so that they can run them in the home, they can run them with parents, um, and they can really get to assess and evaluate those challenging topographies of behavior. 
And so that to me, hopefully those are skills we're giving them that they're going out into their um, first jobs as BCPAs and they're going to impart those skills on future supervisees that we can do functional analyses. We can treat problem behaviors in the real world. Well, and this is something from, I've been an independent contractor before. And so this really rings home for me because, and this is a personal preference, but I've, I've been the clinical director, you know, of a behavior analytic program. And then after that, then I went to independent consulting. And then after that, I just kind of left the clinical world and went into more training and dissemination. But one thing I noticed that when I was an independent contractor, I actually felt as though I was getting better results because you're actually working within, and I know you brought this up too with some of your research and things like that with the social validity of the interventions that they're doing because there's only, you know, we're not the only ones seeing our clients and we often don't see our clients as often as, you know, their families do. So being able to do that and and learn how to do that in a setting that's not as controlled as we, you know, we prefer it to be, um, is, is really neat to hear about as well. So yeah, that's really, that's, that's really, really exciting. But the practicum sites sound absolutely amazing. And are all of the practicum sites encompassed in their program? Is it, you know, they're all through approved Rowan University sites? Yeah, at least, yes, they are. For the uh, master's program, um, they're all, you know, vetted by the practicum instructor and the program um, when we place them outside of, of, the, um, of the Center for Behavior Analysis in-house clinic. Um, in those cases, uh, they're, they're very, um, and we have really excellent relationships. You know, S Southern New Jersey is an interesting um, sort of place in terms of uh, Northern New Jersey is extremely densely populated, but Southern New Jersey, there are portions of it that are actually quite rural, um, as well as um, as you move closer to the central part of the state, they, they the population density increases. So it, it's kind of neat that you have these opportunities for a variety of settings, even just within the, um, you know, urban, suburban, rural, uh, and there's very different dynamics that take place, even when you're doing home programming within that. So, um, so the variety of options, I think, in terms of where their placements are, um, what, if they are not with us directly, um, it, it's, it's a really neat sort of opportunity, I think, for the students to have. Um, and that goes for the PhD students, as well as, of course, the master's students, which I'm most familiar with, but and, uh, PhD uh, students as well. I was going to add one thing to that. I think a very cool aspect for me to see is that some of our supervisors are our former students. And getting to be here and teach my first full cohort of students in the two years in the master's program, and then to hire some of those students as RBCBAs to supervise some of our practicum cases in our in-home program is really exciting to know that you worked on their clinical skills, that you taught them from first coming in and learning about behavior analysis and learning how to apply these skills to then going on to be a supervisor. And so both in our in-house clinic um, and our in-home program, but also other agencies that we have those relationships with, with students once they graduate and they get to come back and, and to supervise in our program, which is really exciting. Well, it just shows too that, I think that that shows how much the students are enjoying the program as well, that they're, you know, they want to keep help and they want to, you know, they're committed to even putting time back into 
the other future students. And that kind of brings me to thanking uh, Jessica and Matt for sitting here so long because that ties right into, you know, what is that student experience as well? So I guess I can go first representing the, my experience in the master's program. So I grew up in South Jersey. I started working in a school when I was, let's see, 19. And that was kind of when I had my first exposure to behavior analysis, working as a teaching assistant. So I didn't really know what it was at that point, but I knew it worked. I saw that it worked, so I said, I think that's what I want to do. I had been a psychology major during my bachelor's, and I decided to pursue my master's um, at Rowan. Um, and I like that we talked about the variety of the program earlier and the variety of our faculty members' backgrounds, because it really ended up kind of changing the course of my career. Um, I went into the program expecting to come out and stay uh, involved in clinical work, but after being exposed to kind of the breadth of the field of behavior analysis, I fell in love with the science, I fell in love with the research, and here I am now, uh, still in school, um, but very much enjoying it at the University of Florida. Um, and I really do think that is a testament to the kind of love and uh, passion um, that these women inspired uh, in me and other students as well for behavior analysis um, and the field. Well, and to kind of add on to that too, that, you know, a lot of the practicum were described, the research opportunities and of the faculty were described as well. And then you also mentioned who you're studying under right now, which is also kind of different because yeah. Dr. Gravina is is known as an OBMer mm -hmm. as well. So it's it's really neat to you know to see that a previous master's student can really take her interests, tailor them to exactly what you wanted, and then you were still able to get into and study under, you know, one of like Dr. Gervino is phenomenal. So that's exciting to you know see that as well. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's also kind of a testament to the foundational skills um, that I received at Rowan. I don't think I would be able to be here without what I learned um, from Dr. Sorith, Dr. Simmons, and Dr. Rafe, so. Yep, I have to 100% agree with that. I was gonna say, Jessica, if you wanna speak a little bit more to your involvement with research and how you developed that passion for research while you're here at Rowan, I think you had a really unique journey through developing your interest and in arriving at OBM. Yeah, I did, for sure. Um, so I had mentioned that my background was uh, more clinical, so working with children on the spectrum primarily. I had worked as a teaching assistant and an RBT, and then I, so through Rowan's program, um, you generally are assigned to one major faculty member as kind of a member. And I ended up um, working with Bethany or Dr. Ray from flip-flopping between first name and last name. That's kind of that weird dynamic uh, of graduating. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I fell in love with some of the research I had been learning about in class. So I went to Bethany, who was my mentor at the time. And I like to say a lifelong mentor if you're comfortable with <laughs> with that uh, with that hat. Uh, but 
she, uh, she offered me an opportunity to get involved with some of the research she had going on at the time, uh, which was a contingency management-based interventions. It was an application for smoking cessation. So a really cool project. Um, I had, I didn't have a background in contingency management, but she saw that I was really passionate and she gave me that opportunity to start learning. Uh, so from there, I learned more about the research process and essentially I would say that based on the exposure I had to uh, some of the more unique areas of behavior analysis, I learned uh, that it could be applied with typically developing adults as well, which I had no clue originally. Um, and I kind of stumbled upon OBM at one point um, at a conference uh, halfway through my career in the master's program. And I told Bethany and she was, she said, you know, that's not my area of expertise, but I support your interests. So I kind of delved into that um, and here I am now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's really great to hear too, because I mean, I think that that is something that we constantly have to do and just remember as professionals and as supervisors that we are producing, you know, the next supervisors too. So to have a mentor that was like, hey, no, this isn't necessarily what I do, but I want to support you and however I can. So this is probably going to be me being, you know, doing some professional development as well and continuously learning because I feel like it's a when you are, when you have students, I feel like you're always continuously learning as well. So that was really, I really like hearing that. Yeah, I should also note that both uh, Bethany and Christina gave me the opportunity to kind of help develop for Christina. Um, her severe behavior clinic was just getting off the ground when, um, when I was uh, in the program and she allowed me to kind of help assist her with developing a lab management program and then Bethany similarly uh, allowed me to kind of head a performance management intervention um, with the lab there. So uh, it all it all ended up kind of coming together in this, this journey. I suppose like I can speak like firsthand as being a member of Bethany's lab and uh, seeing Jess being able or Jessica being able to take students from undergraduate program in and outside of the behavior analysis to emphasis the master's program in behavior analysis and in the PhD program in clinical psychology and be able to really streamline all of those different sort of hierarchical um, roles in the lab and the, and the variety and diversity of the research projects and really being able to find out where most people uh, where people can maximize their interests and be most effective in sort of making sure that the projects are moving uh, moving forward in the most efficient way. And I think, you know, having her in that role and really being able to see the benefit of take, of having somebody with an OB, emerging OB uh, specialty in a lab management role was really, um, I think, worthwhile. Thanks, Matt. Definitely helped our lab function <laughs> a lot more smoothly. And we got some really good students to come in uh, because of your leadership to, or your, you know, organization and uh, use of those different strategies. So that was great. And we're still using the bones and structure of the lab manual that Jessica created for us. So it was definitely beneficial for my lab as well. <laughs> That's so awesome to hear. And then how about you, Matt? What about your experience? Sure. I mean, I was kind of taking some notes as everybody was talking and thinking, where am I going to be able to get, um, edited into this conversation as 
you know, I'm really the only one here without a BCBA. So I'm kind of the odd person out. Um, and I think really kind of pigging, piggybacking off of what Bethany was saying earlier with the uniqueness of the PhD program and uh, at Rowan um, and sort of where its mission is moving forward is something that um, was the reason why I sort of took a chance really coming to Rowan. Um, I'm only a part of the second cohort in the program. Um, so there was only one year of guinea pigs in front of me and then we're kind of the second group being thrown out into the world. Um, and now we are on our fifth, uh, fifth year and recently um, achieved uh, contingency uh, or accreditation on contingency from the APA um, and up, are up for a full review um, next year. So it's been very fast in you know, the past four or five years now um, and it's great to be looking forward. Um, and my background, I think, is very non-traditional. I've come to learn for most people in behavior analysis as well. Um, I started in a small rural school in southern Minnesota, Winona State University, in a basic uh, behavioral pharmacology lab. I was working with um, a mentor, John Holden, who was doing research on a malaria drug used in active duty soldiers. And we were doing self-administration studies in operant chambers and looking at the um, mood altering effects of that on, um, on uh, mouse behavior. And that served as sort of my introduction to, you know, behavioral pharmacology, basic behavioral principles and substance use, and um, an interest in working with a military population. Um, and so that was my goal in pursuing a graduate education in psychology was to become a licensed psychologist and potentially work with veterans and individuals in the military and um, developing an interest in substance use as my area of research. Um, but at the time, I didn't know anything about behavior analysis. My only background was taking a undergraduate learning and behavior course. Um, and uh, I had an emerging interest in acceptance and commitment therapy as well, um, a third wave behavioral uh, approach to um, psychotherapy um, that really spoke to me in terms of uh, an intervention that uh, was connected to the scientific and philosophical roots of functional contextualism. I really found when I was learning about cognitive behavioral therapy and other approaches to um, more kind of the traditional psychological interventions, um, being very disconnected from the research. The research into practice was something that I had a really hard time with, but with ACT in particular, and other, and I'm finding other third wave behavioral therapies as well, like functional analytic psychotherapy and dialectical behavioral therapy, there's a much clearer link to the basic science and the, and the philosophical foundation in terms of how it's put into practice and what these techniques were doing and how they're actually supposed to work and why. Um, and so that was what the motivation was for me to pursue a master's degree in both uh, clinical psychology and in behavior analysis um, at Eastern Michigan University, which is another program that I would say is also very unique in terms of um, Rowan being also very unique in that it's the only program I'm familiar with. There might be more now, but at the time when I was applying, it was the only program I was familiar with where you could, outside of, or after achieving the master's degree, pursue a dual licensure as a limited licensed psychologist in the state of Michigan and a BCBA and work in settings where you could do, you know, and that opens so many doors in terms of the top populations you can work with, the types of issues you can work with. Um, and that really, was an ideal uh, training for me, um, especially somebody with an interest in working in not typical, not traditional behavior analysis uh, backgrounds. I, I say 
I've worked enough, you know, in settings and homes and centers with individuals on the autism spectrum and working with families and kids to know that it's just not my calling. And there are people much, much more talented than I who um, are definitely going to be able to do wonderful things in those areas, but that just wasn't going to be for me. Um, and so when I was choosing a master's program to go to, uh, the program at Eastern Michigan, in addition to it being the dual clinical and behavior analysis program, um, they have a number of faculty members there who are graduates of Reno's um, clinical program, worked with, even worked directly under Steve Hayes in the early ACT labs and worked. And so that was an ideal setting for me to get that background and that philosophical foundation in functional contextualism um, and, uh, and behavior analysis to then continue on with the PhD. Um, and then ultimately continuing on with the PhD, choosing a graduate program. I learned about Rowan at, uh, I think it was 2015 ABAI. Um, I had gone to a symposium. I'd never heard of Rowan before. Being from the Midwest, um, you couldn't, I, you couldn't have you know, predicted that I would have ended up in New Jersey of all places. Um, but I went to a symposium on contingency management in novel settings where Dr. Sorith or uh, Michelle and Bethany were co-presenters along with um, other members of Rowan's program and outside of Rowan's institution. Um, and I, you know, having a small or a, some understanding of contingency management, you know, having an interest in working with substance use, um, it was something that uh, was sort of the opening the foundation of learning about Rowan's program. And at the time it was still, I don't even know if we had our first class at that point. But um, I applied in the fall and um, found a home in a clinical psychology program that appreciated and where my behavior analysis background was really an asset. Um, and so while the clinical program is not a behavior analysis emphasis, it's a health psychology program, um, the uniqueness of having behavior analysts, you know, individuals with BCBADs, um, in the clinical program is really unique, um, something I'm not sure um, I wasn't able to find in other programs that would have also maybe been a good fit for me. Um, and then the variety of the applied uh, training as well, having the medical schools there. Um, I've done practicum uh, training in uh, Cooper's Medical School, working in Camden, New Jersey with underserved populations, both you know, working with substance use and other health psychology um, areas. And I'm currently working in the Philadelphia VA um, in their sleep clinic. So I'm doing a sleep clinic um, specialization. And with cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, uh, my background in behavior analysis was a very smooth transition. You know, I have a very strong understanding of what stimulus control is, how to implement it, understanding why things like sleep restriction therapy work in terms of increasing the stimulus value of sleep. Um, and so it's all an expression and an application of these um, basic behavioral principles that I learned in my master's program um, in a setting where behavior analysts currently are not necessarily working. Um, and so I feel very privileged to be able to be a part of that larger dissemination um, uh, story and in, in, uh, widening the scope and umbrella of what behavior analysis can be. Well, that's really, that's really exciting. And the types of experiences, you know, we've been hearing about with the, with the health stuff along with that to then yeah spread it out because i mean I, i'm just really excited that it just sounds it just sounds so neat that and i think that that is showing too that just because you don't have 
this BCBA title behind your name doesn't mean you're not a behavior analyst. That's not what that means. So I mean, I think you're a case in point to that as well. Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely found um, a role as oftentimes being having a unique voice to contribute in settings where behavior analysts may not be um, currently operating in. You know, not even just among psychologists where we might have a common language and, and sort of common roots to be able to draw from, but other interdisciplinary providers too. You know, working with physicians and nurses and um, social workers in integrated health settings. Um, and Rowan's program with their training specifically being, it's a, you know, single track health psychology, integrated care um, is really the mission of the program and what it was designed from the ground up for is this 21st century expansion of not even just behavior analysis, but psychology at large into um, more traditional healthcare settings. Um, and that's something that really appealed to me as a very future oriented um, approach to a very new program that has, I think, been very flexible um, and uh, in its sort of pursuit of that mission. Well, and I think that that also speaks to even the goals of the field of behavior analysis. This is something that we're going to have to do as behavior analysts. You know, it's not like this is how we, you know, we get in with those other practitioners. We start working with in these integrated health systems that you're talking about, and we really start building that up, these relationships up. So I, I, I know some people who from my uh, previous, from my program at Western, um, because the clinical and the behavior analysis students work very closely there, but I've also heard of some of them going out to the East Coast VAs as well to do kind of the similar stuff. So that's, that's a really, it's, it's a unique experience that a lot of people don't necessarily get from a strictly behavior analytic program. I think you also speak to an important point, like sort of on both sides of it. So on the one hand, you know, we're bringing in people with behavior analytic training into our doc program to get that additional exposure and new opportunities. And at the same time, in our master's program, we tend, we try to be pretty open as to who we are willing to entertain as uh, students um, and try to get people from really different backgrounds. So it's not just people who've got that traditional background and training. We're pretty open. We really want to see the field go into these other areas. So we've had like people from, um, you know, the police backgrounds and uh, other who from different, totally different, not your traditional at all um, training and uh, get try because they're really, you know, they have to show that they really understand it and are passionate about behavior analysis and want to learn about it. But then we would love for them to bring that into their discipline and, and learn it from us and take it there. So that's something we really um, embrace as well. I think we even carry that into our school psychology program, getting to teach students in our school psych program, future school psychologists who are going out and disseminating practice into the schools. We actually moved, um, when I came to Rowan, to change their research requirement to a single case design requirement. So they're not trained in behavior analysis, but I teach a two-course seminar to them where they're learning about single case design, they're developing an intervention, they're running it with three students in the schools, and our goal there is to send them out as future practitioners who can work with these VAs, who understand how to interpret single case design data, how to actually evaluate treatment outcomes. I think Rowan really is across all levels focused on that dissemination of our science to more than just our master's level clinicians. Yeah, I think that's been our 
um, in the master's program in ABA too, it's, it's finding the right balance of, you know, in a 33 credit hour program, you know, we, it takes about two years to complete. Um, in those two years, how do you give someone sort of the, the foundation that they need to be able to jump off into these other areas or pursue, you know, the BCBA working, at, you know, in homes with the population with the, with intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities, um, and sort of, walk that path as well you know how do you provide that for everyone and that that stable platform and i do think it comes down to the foundation in behavior analysis as the science um and that's really what we've focused on over the years um is how to do that so that you get that sort of um the broadness and the dissemination and everything that comes after afterwards that they have a, a stable platform to work from yeah i really like that too i just like hearing that this is one thing that I find, you know, when I'm, <clears throat> when I'm starting to reach out to schools and things like that, and I know I said this earlier to all of you, but you really can only learn so much from a website. This, none of this, infor I mean, okay, yes, some of this information <laughs> is on the website, but I mean, this is not something you're going to necessarily like learn from their website. This is really, you know, this program that has all of these, it's just multifaceted and it's, you know, open, willing to teach. They want to teach. You want to disseminate. You want to put out practitioners in into the field, whether they're researchers, practitioners, uh, professors, whatever, whatever it is. You want to put them out there to be, you know, really doing what they want to be doing. And so it's it's been really exciting to listen to. Um, but what about? Oh yeah, go ahead. I just there's a, I didn't know um, if you were gonna if you were if you had more questions or there were a couple things that I, I didn't mention about our program that I wanted yeah. to make sure are clear. One of them is the unique location. It's kind of come up in the dialogue here a little bit about where we're located. We're in South Jersey, but that is a really cool place to be because we're right outside of Philadelphia. We're about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia, you know, very, you know, large city, obviously lots of opportunities there. But as Dr. Sorth mentioned earlier, there's also um, very rural parts of, of South Jersey. So it's very rural. There are, we're really close to New York City um, and Washington DC. So as far as like just looking for a place to live even for people who don't know the area and uh, maybe Matt can speak to a little bit about this since he didn't live in this area, but, um, and I didn't either, I'm not from here. Uh, so just, uh, you know, it's a great place to live. It's a great, a great location to have access to all different kinds. We've got the beaches obviously. Um, so location wise, it's, it's amazing. And for opportunity um, in terms of uh, doing, you know, just uh, getting opportunities for practicum and things like that. Um, and then, you know, we do, we don't require students to get involved with research, but we have tons of research going on and we, at least our master's students, we don't require it, but uh, we really encourage it. And if we see that a student has a, uh, an interest or maybe wants to go on to a doctoral program, we really encourage our students to get involved. We love to have uh, our master's students involved in research and we've had some very successful ones, um, obviously with Jessica as an example, and others as well. We've had several students go on to PhD programs after completing our, our master's program. So just wanted to get those in. I didn't know the best time, but wanted to make those points. Well, I mean, you read my mind because that is one of the things that I'm going to ask is about the area. And it's actually kind of neat because I actually am pretty familiar with the area. I've been out to Stratford multiple times and I know Stratford is pretty close 
to you. Um, but I, one of our medical schools is in Stratford actually. Yeah. Uh, so I know that was really interesting, you know, when I was looking at the location, cause I'm like, I know it's, I know it's like, you know, in South Jersey, I know it's gotta be close because I was, we'd always go to, we'd always go to Philly, you know, when we were there visiting. So, I mean, yeah, I mean the students, I mean, the three of you can speak to this too about what the area is like, but also I know some of the students might want to mention, you know, if they had a life outside of classes and what they did and things like that as well. So I grew up in South Jersey. So I think me and Matt probably have some, some interesting perspectives on the area. Um, I think Bethany made some great points about how close we are to Philly. I like the city. So uh, it's very quick hop, skip, and a jump over over the Delaware to uh, to get to Philly if you want to, you know, see museums or go out and do different things. Um, so that's great. But also, if you're not so much a city person, there's a lot of nature around as well. Um, that's not too far from Rowan. Um, so I think what's cool about the location is having those options. You're kind of centered um, with different options that way. There's good food yeah. in Philly, too. Yes. <laughs> food. Good music, good food, good museums, lots of good stuff. If you like that but don't want to live there, it's not far to get to. Not easy. far. It's easy to get to. And yeah. the museum, there's the plethora of museums yes. that Philly has is absolutely amazing. And it's just a day trip to New York. DC is a little bit further, but to get to New York City, it's just a day trip if, you know people want the big city. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm currently living in Philadelphia um, and going to school at Rowan down in Jersey. So, and I know that um, lots of students will do that. And I also, my first two years lived in Glassboro um, right off campus. And Rowan, even though the school is in somewhat of a rural part of South Jersey, the community has really, as the school has grown, the community around the school has really grown too. Um, there's a whole downtown area in Glassboro that did not exist, I'm told, um, even, you know, 10 years ago that has really been built up. And as the student body and the student population has grown, um, it's really, I think, from what I've been told from uh, people who have lived in the community as, as this transition from Glassboro State to Rowan University, um, it's really turned into a bona fide college town um, where I think the undergraduate students really have a great experience there. You know, the graduate students who maybe choose to live in town, um, if that's something that they are looking for, or um, can live in more of an urban setting if they'd like to as well. I mean, and what about the three of the faculty members? We all live in the same town. <laughs> we're also, that's the other thing about our program that maybe you can tell already, but we're very close as faculty. We, we do everything collaboratively. This is, we, this is like our family, you know, um, our family outside of our family. And so uh, we actually all live within blocks of each other, but not in town with the college, you know, with the university. We live closer to Philadelphia. We're about, you know, 10 minutes outside of Philly, about 25 minute commute to the university um, in a small, you know, small town. That's really just a great, great place to live. And I love it here. Like I said, I'm, not, I'm from, I'm actually from Wisconsin originally. So I'm a Midwest girl too. And, um, and at temperature, like I, I hated the winter. I left, I left Wisconsin because I, partly because I needed to move on, but also because I, I couldn't handle the winters in Wisconsin. And I actually moved to Florida. So I went to University of Florida. So I got the extreme other end of it. Um, so really, really too, too hot <laughs> for too long. Um, and that was great at the time. It was a good break from Wisconsin, but 
I feel like Jersey, this South Jersey, and this could be global warming. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's it. But I feel uh, it's just kind of balance of all the seasons and so for me this is like finally hitting the stride it's not too cold in the winter it's not too it does get pretty hot in the summer but it's for a shorter period of time we get fall we get spring it's great um we get we have good food and good things to do but we can also go on a hike or we can go um you know to a, a farm if we want and that kind of thing it's a great place for family um as well yeah i can definitely you know being from the midwest and Driving Minnesota and living in Michigan, I can appreciate having a fall in New Jersey, especially this year. You know, we're we're in the midst of fall in New Jersey, and it's fantastic. And my poor family back in Minnesota are already into winter with snow on the ground. So I definitely find the weather to be um, a, a plus for sure. I was going to say that was a huge draw for me. Um, I when I was interviewing for faculty positions, I was living out in Omaha, Nebraska, and was coming to interview at different places. I mean, I kind of looked across the country. I really wanted the best fit for me and I didn't really know what to expect coming to Rowan. Um, and I think a huge selling point for me was, um, and I tell them this all the time, I had lunch with Bethany and Michelle and it was just such a refreshing conversation. They, were, they talked about how much there was to do here, how much Philly had to offer, um, living right outside Philly, being able to jump on the train and be in Philly in 10 minutes. Um, that was a huge draw for me, wanting to be close to a city and all the amenities of a city, but while living in a small town. Um, and so being able to work in Glassboro, which is a more rural area, but still have the lifestyle that I wanted um, and access to wonderful food, music, entertainment. I think really the area has been awesome for me the last three years. Yeah, and I've been here for a while. I am originally from South Florida, um, the West Palm Beach area, and uh, went to college, you know, outside in Winter Park at Rollins College. And so when I went to graduate school in Philadelphia, it was quite a shock and change. Um, but over the years in, in Philly for graduate school, I fell in love with the area. I just, you know, the the vibrancy of the city, which sometimes, at least, I don't think it happens as much anymore, but, you know, that, you know, decade or two ago, uh, Philadelphia was sort of the, you know, oh, it's, it's the city's not, not great to live in, and um, there were a lot of misperceptions, I think, about it, um, and so after living there for graduate school, and seeing the, especially uh, like everyone said, the food is, is amazing um, and the ability, the social activism and opportunities to be involved um, with that, the intellectual, um, the, there's multiple large universities uh, in Philadelphia and in the region and the metro area. Um, and just that, you know, the intellectual vibrancy of the city, which is so underrated, I think that people aren't aware of it. Um, and it just, to me, when I compared that to South Florida, no disrespect to my home state, but, um, you know, it just when people say, why would you move to, you know, and then choose as a faculty member to stay in the area. And when the opportunity for Rowan came up, it was like, oh my gosh, the stars have aligned or something because um, I had loved the area so much. So living here and being able to do that, um, I think has been a, a major draw. Um, and it's just the sort of, a very unique combination of variables, I think, that um, make it positioned in a place that, you know, general content for someone who is, is really looking for those kind of 
qualities in a in a home you know so um so it's been wonderful i i think i am very thankful uh that we live here <laughs> one of the other questions too that i always like to ask is what is the in the application process and the interview process if there is one as well so i'll do my best to field that question <laughs> um seeing as i have not done the applying uh but i on the receiving end of it i can tell you um so it's an electronic obviously submission and part of our university that handles all of that is called rowan global and so you go to the rowan global site Go log in. It, there's some like uh, application process. Typically, I think we request um, obviously a personal statement. We don't require GRE scores at all, or GREs to be included in that. Um, we do, I think, require two letters of recommendation. I believe it is. And um, yeah, is there anything I'm missing? So your transcripts, obviously. Well, as far as like what we're looking for, and this is obviously I'm talking about the master's program, but like what we're looking for are people that actually know what behavior analysis is, which I'm sure your listeners are going to know, um, but know what it is, have maybe at least some actual experience doing something related to behavior analysis or um, have, have that either have a lot of coursework or have that practical experience. So it could be at the undergraduate level you know, being at a, a stronger or like just being at a university that offered behavior an analytic courses and that kind of thing. Um, and then we do have a, an interview process, which typically is in person. We usually do it in March, I believe. So I think applications are typically due in February. And then we have the interview process in March. Um, you know, people are often local, so they'll come in. But if we have people who are you know, further away, I think we are able to accommodate. We've done some Zoom and uh, Skype type of interviews as well. We do have an, uh, uh, you know, usually it's one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one, uh, interview process where two of the three of us would uh, interview a person together and, you know, pretty brief interview. And usually part of that interview process is a writing requirement. So there's some kind of question that we'll give and then have a person, the people write a little something um, as part of that interview. Am I missing anything? I don't I think that captured most of it. I think you said the statement of objectives too. We really do look at personal statement and take it very seriously, um, especially because we don't, we don't require the GRE and we have found that at least for the master's program, it's not a great indicator of how strong a behavior analyst they're, they're likely to be at this level. Um, you know, the PhD program's a different situation, but uh, for the master's, so we definitely take any kind of experience and it doesn't have to be, as Bethany said, it doesn't have to be, you know, a traditional experience, but anything with behavior analysis that um, gives them some background in it was wonderful and much appreciated but definitely a, a good statement of objectives um, that it sort of indicates to us that they know what they're getting into and uh, what they're hopefully even if they're not super concrete yet uh, future goals and purpose yeah um, so that's true the statement of purpose is important I mean and um, just in that again demonstrating that you really know what you're getting into I think that's you know we want to make sure that people sometimes they think that we're the behavioral analysis unit like of a forensic so we get people who don't really like they're applying to our program but they they, they think we're something else um, and so we really want to make sure that they they know what this is about also one of the things I wanted to mention there's usually an application fee um, I think it's like 75 bucks 
But we have info sessions that if a person attends an info session, usually they'll waive that fee. So just a little heads up to people who might be interested in applying. Um, and I also wanted to mention our doctoral program, which I believe applications are due in December. Is that correct? Um, I th yeah, so December. They're due in December. And we also have an interview process for that. It's really important if you're going to apply to our doc program to indicate who you're interested in working with for a mentor, you know, what research interests you ha have. Again, that, that, that personal statement is going to be really important. Um, as far as that application process goes, um, this year, anyway, in 2020, seeing as everything's different, uh, we are not requiring a GRE for the doctoral program. And I'm not sure if we'll be reintroducing it or not. I think that's up on the table for discussion um, because we realize that there are some problems with the GRE as well. So I do want to get the word out about our doctoral program deadline, which is coming up a lot sooner, and um, or is just in December whenever people listen to this. And then uh, we do the interview process again. We typically will bring people in and it is like Matt may be able to speak more to this, but it's like a two day event. It's a everybody who we're interviewing comes across two weekends, I think it is. And it's two days of is it one day or two days of interviewing? I think it's two days, two days of interviewing. And usually people will come the night before. There's some social event where you get to meet the graduate students. You'll often be hosted by a graduate student. So we have people coming from all over the country for that. And um, students will then they'll meet they'll have like a info session where they learn about the program and they meet with all the faculty that they're interested in who are also in match match up there's um i think that that's the main gist of it but it's it's a pretty big event that we have for interview days well, i want to throw out one one correction our, our deadline's actually january 1st for the okay, so program. Even more time for um, people to get there. But yeah, you know, get it in December for sure. But so we've covered a lot. We have covered an overview, we've covered faculty, research, practicum, student experience, location, application, and interview. Is there anything else that anyone wants to make sure that so, uh, people listening to this will hear about Rowan? Yeah. I wanted to throw out just one more thing about the location um, from a, a potential student's perspective moving here thing. Um, Philadelphia is a really accessible city, um, especially coming from the Midwest um, and hearing all sorts of things about, you know, what living in a big city on the East Coast might be like. Um, I found Philadelphia to be uh, having be very affordable and also still have a lot of the amenities that you'd expect from a very large city. Um, I've Lots of people from our program come from New York, and they always comment on how how much cheaper Philadelphia is to live and to um, and then being able to have a car and be able to commute is something that's very realistic and it really opens a lot of opportunities to do practicum settings and the whole kind of four state area: Delaware, uh, Maryland, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and even all the way up to New York. If um, some students have done that, um, and then in terms of like going from Detroit metro to philly metro um, one of the things that i i really enjoyed in graduate school is um, trying to go to as many different concerts and the different music venues in the city is something i sort of had as like a side hobby that i would try to do go to a show at least once or twice a month um, challenging during covid very upsetting but um, when i was in detroit that's something i started doing with you know detroit's really rich in music history and music scene um, and something i definitely have been able to continue on in philadelphia um, is something that I, I enjoy. 
jogged my memory of another point that I wanted to make about our master's program. And I, the same is true for our PhD program, but we have a cohort model where students come in in a group and they're taking their classes together. They're getting to be very close over the course of the two years in the master's program and the four years that they're here on campus for the PhD program. And I think that really helps our students to have people to study with, have professional connections that they're going to maintain beyond just our program. I know our, um, we had a reunion a couple of years ago and it was great to see students come together and they clearly had maintained friendships. They had kept in touch beyond um, the two years that they were in our master's program. I think that that really helps students to get through the program and to also have that uh, professional connection. There's another thing I, I didn't mention about our master's program. The program is kind of designed so that people, we expect that people are still working in the, you know, working while they're in the program. So we don't start till 3.30, which is about when the school day ends for people who are in the school system. So it does accommodate the working student as well. Yeah, I think if uh, someone were interested out of state coming, most of their students in the master's program are generally local. Um, you know, they're living in the area and come to study with us. But we certainly love and have had several instances where students came, even from abroad, um, to live in South Jersey or to come to the area. Um, and move here and, and work with us in the master's program. And with that, we're all very open and we encourage those students to reach out to us, um, you know, because we have so many connections with companies in the area and programs in the area that if they're looking for work during the day, um, and we really encourage that in a lot of cases, or to perhaps even work with us on campus um, and have those opportunities, it's something to reach out um, to the faculty uh, and it's something to plan for so that when they get here and arrive to South Jersey, there are already connections established. They can go on interviews and, um, and figure out where they'd like to do some of their, their work while they're um, in the program. So there is usually an evening start time, as Bethany indicated, on the classes. Right. Well, just because also because Michelle just brought it up, too, is that I typically ask the faculty members if they are OK with having their email addresses put in the description. So perfect. They are all nodding. So all of your emails will be in the description. I'm not going to bug the students. If you have any questions for the students, I know that, um, you know, Bethany, Christina or Michelle would be happy to put you in contact with anybody. Um, so please reach out to them if you have any questions. But I do want to thank all of you for taking time out of out of this lovely Monday to sit down and talk with me about the program. I've learned a ton about the area and the program and just what to expect when students should be, you know, when they're looking into Rowan and seeing if it is a would be a good fit for them. So thank you all. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And yeah, feel free to email us if you have questions, any other questions about our, any, any of the programs that we talked about. Thank you for listening to the University Series. And as always, if you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us at operainnovations at abatechnologies.com.